Hey y'all, welcome to this week's podcast. This is Clay. This week I spoke on identity, probably my favorite topic in the world to speak on who we are in Christ and what the Lord has done for us. The core theme of this week um, is just the intertwining of an appreciation for the blood of Jesus and everything that the the blood has purchased for us. And so this uh, topic has set me free. It's changed my life. And I hope that the Lord uses this message to do the same for you. Love y'all. What Bentley just prayed during communion is basically like the entire message. So we're good to go. We can just go home, (laughs) right? Pete's ready to go. (laughs) Yep, perfect. The short version. When uh, I'd asked Bentley to do communion and um, I was here early today and I was walking around outside and I was thinking, man, it's impossible to grow in our identity in Christ, in our understanding of our identity of who the Lord says that we are, and not at the same time grow in an appreciation for communion. And tonight I'm going to be talking about communion, or I'm going to be talking about identity. I didn't tell Bentley that. And then when I come back inside from thinking that thought, like, man, that's hand in hand, communion and identity, I have a voice memo from Bentley, which I've, I've converted him over to, to voice memos. So... That's my life's greatest achievement. And he, and he said, hey, I was praying about tonight, and I felt like as I wanted to lead communion, I felt like the Lord was highlighting the intertwining of communion in our identity in him. And that's what I want to pray into. And I, then I sent him a very loud voice memo in response and said, great, dude, let's do that. Let's do that. So um, something Jeff said last week was, was super important of if we change our beliefs, we will change our lives. And Jeff last week talked about encountering the Lord. He summarized our, I mean, as formal as we can get, a 12-week series on uh, what it means to minister to the Lord. And he brought us back to the very, just the core of why we exist, of when we encounter Jesus, it changes everything. Of when we encounter Jesus, it changes our thoughts and then it changes our beliefs, and when it changes our beliefs, then it changes our actions. And so when we encounter the Lord, it literally results in life change, and that's the way that we were created, is we were created that when we behold him, then we become like him. It's like a billion Bible verses about it. As we behold him, we are transformed to glory, to glory, because we are seeing him. And I just want to build upon that um, this week, and I want to be talking about uh, identity. I'm going to try to keep this as, as short as I can. This is probably my favorite topic to talk about in the entire world. I'm pumped about it. Don't give me that look, man. <laughs> Everywhere Ethan goes, I talk about identity, and I'm pumped. I'm pumped. So I, I, I really believe that every single sin in our lives is either based in a lie we believe about God or a lie that we believe about ourselves. Every single one. And I believe that God is actually more concerned with changing our beliefs than he is about changing our actions. Because he knows that when our beliefs change, not only do our beliefs in our internal worlds change, but our actions change as well. And if we start from a place of simply trying to change our actions, we're going to be continually tired and we're trying to change something on the outside while internally we still are in conflict. But when we change our beliefs, it actually changes our desires, our emotions, and in turn our actions. And so there's this really, like, big lie that has permeated, I mean, Western culture that's permeated our performancism of, of our culture is, and the church world of 
uh, our actions show who we really are. And this is absolutely opposite of the gospel. Our actions do not show who we really are. You can't look at someone and say, man, your actions define who you are. What your actions are revealing is what you believe. So if you look at your actions, and even if you look at your emotions and your desires, they don't reveal who you are, but they reveal what you believe. They reveal the beliefs that are underneath those actions, those beliefs that are underneath those desires or underneath those emotions. And so Paul even said, he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He doesn't say be transformed by trying really hard, doing all the right things. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Meaning, if you start believing the right things, you'll actually start living right. And in Proverbs, it says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so, your actions reveal what you actually believe. And so, I grew up, um, I grew up with a lot of, I would say a lot of performancism, a lot of shame, a lot of condemnation. I grew up through high school addicted to pornography. I grew up um, trying so hard to implement my will to try to be honoring to God, to try to prove that I loved him, to try to prove that I was pleasing to him. And I hit a point probably, man, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, I would say five years ago where, man, I was free from a lot of the stuff that I used to be captive to, but at the same time, I was dealing with intense anxiety, and I was just all over the place, and I was, I don't know if I would call it depression, I would just say that I was dealing with so much anxiety, and the best definition I heard of anxiety recently is fear of future pain. And so anxiety is fear of future pain. There's this fear of, man, I was going to mess up everything in my life. Everything was ruined. I was running out in front of God. I couldn't hear his voice. I was messing it all up. And I finally came to this place of like, man, like this is not the abundant life that, that God was talking about. This is not the abundant life that Jesus said. You will have life overflowing. That word just simply meaning like life overflowing to the max to the point that the people around you get jealous because your life is so overflowing. And so here I was, like I was a worship pastor and I was leading a team and I was doing all this and I was feeling so much anxiety in the middle of it. I was like, man, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be, I'm missing something. And so I went to some mentors and I was like, man, what are the best books on my identity in Christ? Because apparently I'm missing something. Apparently I'm believing something that's causing this because if I'm really gonna believe that this isn't just who I am, that I'm not just messed up and I'm gonna ruin everything, then I need to figure out like what is actually true and why in the world I keep on having these thoughts, these desires, why I keep on messing up in these ways. And so um, I, man, yeah, I'm just, I'm so passionate about talking about identity because it's changed my life. And I became known as the identity guy and the communion guy, and I caught a lot of crap for it because that's all, like, basically I wanted to do. Hey, we should take communion. <laughs> hey, we should talk about identity and manage to, to fit it into every time I get a chance to share. And this is what, this is what I came to. Um, so I think we have a slide. We're getting really official, guys, this week. So we got some slides on the screen. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Some nice homemade slides. All right, so come to, uh, welcome to class. On the right, we got mixed actions, right? So all of us do right and wrong. This is what I grew up believing. So all of us do some right, all of us do some wrong. We all have mixed actions. If anybody disagrees with that, we can talk after, but I think that's pretty clear. Why do we uh, have mixed actions? Why do we do some good? Why do we do some bad? I grew up believing it's because we have mixed desires, right? Makes sense. Sometimes we desire to do good. Sometimes we desire to do bad. 
and then that's because we have mixed actions, therefore we have a mixed nature, meaning we are partly good, partly bad, you know, we got the flesh, and then we have kind of like the new person, we have the Holy Spirit, and we're kind of battling inside of us, and I've always heard like the analogy of like, you have two wolves inside of you, you have a light wolf, you have a dark wolf, and whichever one you feed the most, like, becomes empowered. And there's some truth to that, right? Because whatever you think about, whatever you focus on, you empower in your life. That's why so many like men end up becoming their fathers, even though they spend their entire lives trying not to be their fathers, is because whatever you're trying not to become, you just end up becoming because it has your focus. It just happens over and over again. Okay, so this is what I, this is what I believe. It makes sense. But realized, man, this is not, like, this is not what the scriptures say. Like, the Bible says that we no longer have a mixed nature. So Colossians 1.22 it says, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are, Bentley just prayed this, holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And this is not some, this is the NLT. This is not some like charismatic translation. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. This is past tense. This is not talking about heaven in the future. This is talking about right now. We stand before the Father, holy and blameless, and without a single fault. Now, it's easy. I would say that probably growing up, I'd probably look at that and be like, okay, awesome. Like, God sees me as holy and blameless. Like, that's great. Like, I really know me. I really know me. I've spent a lot of time with me. But if you follow that like, line of reasoning all the way to the end, it's like all of a sudden we realize that we take God's opinion like it's, like it's an opinion <laughs> and not like absolute truth. And really the core of identity is coming to this place of saying, God, I completely surrender my right to self-define. I lay down my ability to say, Lord, I know me better than anybody else. I know what's actually happening inside of me. Because, man, like, I've known myself for 29 years, but the Lord has known me for a lot longer. He's known me for all eternity, past, present, future. And so it's this place of humility and saying, God, like, I lay down my right to self-define. I lay down my right to define myself by my actions, my achievements, or my failures, or my emotions, or my desires, or... Uh, whatever I want to affiliate with, the party that I affiliate with politically or the church that I'm in or uh, put my, I mean, you can put your identity in a billion things, the sport that I play, the trophies on the wall, my spouse, whatever it is. Lord, I lay it down. I refuse to put my identity in any of those things and to pick up what Jesus has said that through his blood we are holy and blameless as we stand before him. And the sacrifice for me really comes from that place of like, man, most of the time, I would say more so now, which is great news. But when I first started diving into this, I really did not feel like that. And it's an act of humility to say, Lord, I don't feel like this is true. In fact, probably if I told anybody this, and a lot of people in the Christian world, they would say this is not true. And yet I'm laying down my feelings and what I've allowed to define me and tell me what's true, and I'm picking up what you say is true, that I'm holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. So I look at this, our bubble graph again, and realize, okay, there's actually more to this story. So we have, let's start with a biblical worldview and say that we are holy and blameless at the core of who we are, right? So our nature is holy and blameless now for those of us who are in Christ, right? Okay, because we've been born again. 
Okay, so we got next slide. So we have, let's say that we're holy and blameless, and we realize that there's more to the story because we all have actions and we all have desires, but we don't always do everything that we desire. So if you're listening online, there's actions on the right side, and what make up our actions to the left of that is our desires, and then in the purple bubble, it says will. And so our will is like, it's like a trap door. It's like a clamp that we can put down. Sometimes we have desires, and then it's a, we're, we have the ability, God has given us free will to say, nope, I'm not going to live out whatever that desire is. I have a desire to be selfish, to be mean, and I can say no to that, I can say no to it. But if you're anything like me, and you've been trying to live from a place of purely discipline and purely willpower, man, it gets exhausting. It gets exhausting real quick. And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. So the, the famous passage when Paul says, I do all the things that I hate doing, and I hate doing all the things that I do do. And people, man, I, people quote it to me all the time. It's like, yeah, you know, brother, we're just human. Do all the things I hate to do. Well, Paul's not talking about the new born-again believer's life. Paul is talking about his life under the law, of saying, man, when I was under the law, like, I could not follow the law. I kept doing what I didn't want to do, and I had all this self-discipline, but I, no matter how hard I tried, I could not live up to God's standards. It's like the whole main primary message of the Old Testament. It's like on our own, we cannot live up to the Lord's standards, to the law. And then so Paul at the end of Romans 7 comes, but thank God the Father gave us a way out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it goes into Romans 8.1 that says there's now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So I think we've all experienced just trying to live by our wills and just clamping down on, man, I have an evil desire, whatever it is, and it's exhausting. And it's like it's living under the law. Okay, so there's more to it than this. Next slide. All right. So this is where our beliefs come in. So if we start with a holy and blameless nature then our beliefs end up being the filter that that holy and blameless nature goes through. So we can be completely holy and blameless at the core of who we are, meaning the core of who we are is pure before God, and that's not just his opinion. It's actually what's true. It's reality. And then we can have a belief that is not true, and it results in an evil desire, which then results in an evil action. Or it results in an evil action and we, or an evil desire and we have to continually clamp that down with our will. This is why it's so important and why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because if our worldview is clear, if our beliefs are clear, I picture it you know, like glasses, like you're looking through, is that I have perfect vision. If I'm looking through my glasses and they're clear, then I'm gonna see things correctly. But if my glasses have filters on it, if our beliefs have the wrong filter on it, then we're gonna see things incorrectly then our desires are gonna be messed up. Our actions are gonna be messed up. The best example, the first example of this is in the garden, right? So in Genesis 1, it's 27 and 31. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was, you guys know? Very good, very good. It was very good. Okay, so God created humanity. So did God create humanity with sin in it at the very beginning? No. no. Thanks, dude. Okay. So how did Adam and Eve, who were perfect and blameless and holy, how did they sin? A lie is introduced. So the snake comes and says, if you eat, 
from the tree, you will be like God. And it doesn't say like how long Eve said no. It doesn't say how long that Eve clamped down on that desire, but it says that all of a sudden Eve looked at the tree and she desired it. Because all of a sudden, a holy and blameless human believed a lie. And from out of that came an unholy desire. And hey, maybe for years, maybe for years she looked at the tree and just said, nope, like that's not right. I don't think that's right. Something doesn't feel right about that. I'm not going to do it. But still there was the nagging, there was the desire. Until finally she couldn't implement her will anymore. And then it was the first sin. And sin was introduced into the world. And sin is not just an action. It's not just something that we do, but sin is an entity. It's where at that moment that humanity's dominion over the earth, that God had given dominion over the earth to humanity, and humanity handed the keys over to the enemy in that moment. And sin did not just become something that we do. It became a part of who we are. We became sinners. A sinner is not someone who just sins. A sinner is someone who has sin as a part of their identity. It is a mixed bag, right? It is the flesh. It is when you look at someone not yet a believer, there is some good in them, and yet at the same time, there is sin and evil mixed in. Does that make sense? Okay. So it makes sense why beliefs are so important. So it makes sense how we can be holy and blameless and righteous before God and yet still sin and mess up? Okay. Let's look at uh, John 3. This will be the one verse that we look, that we turn to. John 3, 1 through 5. Okay, this is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, verse 1, it says, Now there was a prominent religious leader among the Jews named Nicodemus, who was a part of a sect called the Pharisees and a member of the Jewish ruling council. One night he discreetly came to Jesus and said, Master, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one performs the miracle signs that you do unless God's power is with them. Jesus answered, Nicodemus, listen to this eternal truth. Before a person can perceive God's kingdom realm, they must first experience a rebirth. Nicodemus said, rebirth? How can a gray-headed man be reborn? It's impossible for a man to go back into the womb a second time and be reborn. Jesus answered, I speak in eternal truth. Unless you are born of water and spirit, you will never enter God's kingdom realm. So I want to look at these two different things. I want to look at being born of water, and I want to be looking, look at being born of spirit. Two things that God says that we are. So being born of water, I want to look at this as we are born naturally. And many of you probably know this, but I hope that this hits your heart tonight, is that you exist because God wanted you. You don't exist because your parents wanted to have a good time. You don't exist on accident. You exist because God wanted you. That God dreamed about you before eternity began. He dreamed about who you would be, who he would create you to be. And man, this, this verse has been everywhere this week with the reversal of 
Roe v. Wade, praise the Lord, but Psalm 139, it says, you formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside and wove them together in my mother's womb. It was the Lord that created you. It was the Lord that has wanted you since before time began. He was dreaming of you before he created the earth, before he created time, before he created everything in existence. And on top of that, Ephesians 2 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That word masterpiece, it means the pinnacle of creation. It means like the jewel in the crown. Think about the billions of galaxies that are out there. I mean, I can't even do it justice, just exaggerating. Like there's billions of planets and stars like our own. And yet at the very top of that, God considers humanity to be his, his prize crowned masterpiece, and that's you. That's not everybody else, that's you. The very fact that we are sitting in here today in a gathering, in a culture like today, for the name of Jesus means that God has seen us, he has created us, he has drawn us to himself, he has pursued us, he has given us grace. In the Psalms, David says that he has put his grace in front of us, behind us, and on either side of us. He, we are surrounded in a bubble of grace and favor. That's some good news. Okay, we're born of water. Secondly, we are born of spirit. We are made completely new. The moment that you said yes to Jesus, you didn't just begin improving your life. And I know all of you would agree with me. The moment that you said yes to Jesus, you became a new person. You were born again from the inside out. The moment that you said, I throw away any attempt of my own, I, give down, I lay down my right to say that, man, somehow I can achieve righteousness. Somehow I can live up to God's standard and say, Lord, the only way, the only way that I have access to you is through your body and your blood. You've done all the hard work. The minute that we say that and say, Lord, you are Lord of my life, we are born again from the inside out. As Nicodemus was questioning, it's like, man, there's so much mystery there. We are born of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, it says, the heart of man is deceitful above all else. Still so hear some Christian circles quote that today. But it, then it says in Ezekiel, as a prophecy of the New Testament creations that says, and I will take out their hearts of stone and I will give them hearts of flesh and I will write my laws on their hearts. Meaning we are made brand new. Our hearts are soft to the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. You know that on, in Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out, that was already a celebration. Pentecost was already a celebration of the day that Moses received the Ten Commandments. And it's exactly, literally, what was written on a heart of stone, on stone tablets, the Lord is writing on flesh. It's in that moment that God has given us brand new hearts. Our hearts are no longer deceitful. Our hearts are no longer naturally chasing after other things. In fact, if we believed all the right things right now, if we saw God correctly and saw ourselves correctly, we would choose the right thing every time. Because our hearts, our very nature, naturally want God now. That's what it means to be holy. 
That's what it means to be righteous. Original intention. Colossians 2.11 says that when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. I, when, uh, when Ollie was born, our, uh, our eight-month-old, we had his circumcision at our house, which was actually at our table. So if you've had dinner at our house, I'm very sorry, now that you know. It was probably, it was not a fun experience as a dad, let me tell you. But I will tell you that when he was circumcised, they didn't keep that thing. They didn't keep it around. They didn't put it in a bag. We don't still have it. They cut it off and it was thrown away. It's gone. When Paul says that your sinful nature is cut away, it's not still hiding in you somewhere. It's not still sitting around. He didn't partially cut it off. He didn't say, man, all right, now it's up to you to fight your sinful nature. No, it is gone. It is gone. You know what that means? It means that you're no longer a sinner. There is no such thing as a sinner saved by grace. You are either a sinner or you are a saint. You are a saint who has been saved by grace. Your sinful nature, the sinner in you, has been cut off. It has been thrown away. It's not kept. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. Say gone. gone. Say gone. gone. The new is here. You are not working on the old person. You are a brand new person. You are not a sinner who is learning to live like a saint. You are a saint who is learning to live like a saint, who still believes some lies, and you are unlearning them. This process is, it's called sanctification. So the, the theological language is justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so we have been justified, and we are in the process of being sanctified, meaning we are in the process of becoming who we actually are, who we already are. I used this analogy a, a couple weeks ago, but I just want to do it again because I think it's the best analogy. And Paul uses it. It says in scriptures that we have been adopted, that actually he was writing to the Corinthians. So uh, actually, I'm sorry, he, he was writing to the Romans. So he was writing to people that were familiar with Roman adult, uh, adoption code. And so... It says that we have been adopted, we have been given the right to become children of God, that we have been adopted into his family. And in the, the Roman rules of, of the day, it's a lot like today. When you were adopted into a new family, your past was completely rewritten. Your debt was forgiven if you had debt. Your crimes were forgiven if you had crimes. You had a completely clean past, a com completely clean record. And the same is true today. If, if Bailey and I go and we adopt a, a, a baby boy from China and we bring him back to the States, the first thing that they're going to do is go back to his original birth certificate and write our name there instead of his name. They will rewrite his birth certificate and will come up as baby orender. But if, say, we adopt a 10-year-old 
that 10-year-old, and he's been an orphan for 10 years, he's going to learn 10 years worth of orphan behaviors. He may have a scarcity mentality. He may feel like he has to compete with his siblings. He may steal food after dinner. He may talk back and feel like he has to continually raise his voice in order to be heard. He's going to act like an orphan. If I adopt a son and I bring him here to the States and he lives in our house and he's 10 years old and he acts like an orphan, is he an orphan? He's not an orphan. He's still my son. He's still my son. And over time of seeing how I live my life, of beholding me, of spending time with me, of being with me, he will learn what it means to be a son. He will learn what it means to be an orander. But imagine if, like, he goes to school and his teacher comes and gives me a call and she says, like, hey, we really like your son, but for some reason, like, he keeps calling himself an orphan who's been adopted. Like, man, as a father, as a father who's gone through so much and paid such a high price for my son to see himself as my son, and he's walking around to his classmates saying, yeah, I'm just an orphan, but I just happen to get adopted. The way that we talk about ourselves and see ourselves, it matters to God because the way that we see ourselves is how we will live. If we see ourselves simply still as sinners who have been saved by grace, we will act like sinners. There was, in my time at the vineyard, there's two specific guys who, when I, whenever I would preach this, they would give me quite a bit of pushback. One guy would always tell me, he's like, man, like, I will never not call myself a sinner. I know myself. And this other guy just said, you know, like, you talk a lot about, like, being loved by God, but really, the way that I see the Christian walk is, like, is us loving God. Of us, he's already done everything, and being a Christian is all about what we can do to love God. Both of these guys... have been trapped in depression, have been trapped in addiction. One of them I don't even think is following the Lord anymore. And holy moly, it just comes down to we will live out every time, 100%, who we believe ourselves to be. If you want to see what someone believes about themselves, just look at their actions. Their actions do not define them, but it does tell you what they believe. And in the kingdom... Belief comes before transformation. Belief comes before behavior. We don't act holy so that we become holy. We believe that we are holy. We believe what the Lord has said, what he has said about us, and all of a sudden we, be, we begin to act holy. We begin to live like who we really are. We spend time beholding our Father. We spend time with our Father. We spend time meditating on what he says about us, and all of a sudden we start to feel like we belong. We start to feel like, man, like, I do belong as a son. I do belong in the Lord's presence. I do belong with the group that says, yeah, we are holy and righteous and blameless before God. And this is where it's impossible to, 
grow in our identity and not grow in an appreciation for community because it's like, and I did nothing to earn it. <laughs> and I did nothing to get here. I am 0% more holy right now than I was 10 years ago when I was trapped in addiction. Zero. Same for you. If you're doing great right now, you are 0% more holy than at your worst moment. Unless it was before the Lord. Every bit of holiness, as David says, every good thing you find in me, Lord, is from you. Every good thing. Romans 5.1 says, Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means that we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Let's go. Holla. So it means that how, just as Bentley prayed, the way that God, the Father, sees Jesus, he now sees us. So in Matthew, at Jesus' baptism, it says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That means the Father is looking at you right now and saying, this is my son or daughter whom I love in whom I am well pleased. So we're going to say this out loud, okay? So this is my beloved, and then you have to say your own name, okay? And then we say, in whom I am well pleased. We say all that together. Does that make sense? Okay. <clears throat> Here we go. This is my beloved clay, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, now for real this time. This is my beloved clay, in whom I am well pleased. Again, this is what the Father is saying over you right now. This is my beloved clay, in whom I am well pleased. One more time. This is my beloved clay, in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> Guys, when we start to believe that the Lord has made us holy and pure, let me just tell you the difference between living in condemnation and the difference between living in freedom. Like, <laughs> like, I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. Like, Brother Lawrence, uh, the monk in, he's a monk in the, the 14th century, 15th century, he practiced the presence of God, of being in God's presence all the time, and he talks about, like, how he would walk around, and he would, he called them, because it was, well, I think the translation was old as well, but he talked about ecstasies from the Lord, of how the pleasure of the Lord's love would become so much that he would just start giggling in the kitchen. He would just start giggling throughout the day, and in a monastery, like, that's way not cool. Like, if you're just giggling around the walls. Y'all, I've had times, there are times on a pretty regular basis where I'll just walk with the Lord, and I'll just start laughing. I'll just start giggling. It is so good to be loved by the Lord. It is so good to be loved by the Lord. It is so good to be loved by the Lord. And nothing about the way that he felt about me changed. What changed is my beliefs. What changed is me actually believing it and having grown up in church where I knew about the love of God, I knew the love of God, but then I actually received it and I took the steps to actually believe him and I let it hit my heart and by his spirit it hit my heart. Man. Seven fruits of living in identity. 
When you're living in identity, you live in hope. So you have a deep sense that things are going to work out. That you just kind of feel invincible in a healthy way, not like a 16-year-old way. Number two, the impossible seems reasonable. No person or situation is too far for God to redeem. And you believe it. You look at it and be like, man, I can't wait to see how God is going to show up in this situation. Number three, you live in peace instead of worry, meaning you are not walking around in life thinking about all these what-if situations in your mind. You're not thinking, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if we don't have enough? What if this person thinks that? What if that person is actually thinking that right now? Four, you actually like yourself and see your weakness as an area that God says he is strong. Again, looking at him, be like, Lord, I can't wait to see how you're going to show up because I am not good at this. <laughs> Number five, you're quick to forgive and to give others grace and mercy. When you live in identity number six, you really live in true thankfulness, that it flows out of you, that there's times of like, Lord, I can't believe it, that you really believe that you're the most blessed person, that you are the highly favored one. Number seven, you believe in others and give them the benefit of the doubt. Because as soon as you, the Lord really hit me with this one day, when I was like, he, I felt like he was like, man, you've been doing a really good job in believing what I say about you. Like, now's the time to start believing what I say about other people. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, all of a sudden, when we start actually believing that our, our actions do not define who we are, same standard applies for everybody else. Their actions do not define who they are before the Lord. Therefore, I can have my own opinion as long as I want, but I'm just believing a lie about them. So all of a sudden, I start to believe in others and give them the benefit of the doubt. doesn't mean I ignore weaknesses, but it means that I look at them and I'm living in hope. I'm living in expectation. Just as, you know, love is patient. It says, love never stops believing in 1 Corinthians 13. God never stops believing the best. I think it says in the Passion Translation. So two practicals of if we change, of how to change our beliefs, because our beliefs change our desires. Our desires then change our actions. And isn't it good news that, like, that we can change our desires? In a culture that just says, like, you are your desires, like, that actually is your identity, like, what a surface-level belief is that? Like, our beliefs, our desires are only because of what we believe. Like, I only want chocolate ice cream because I've tried it before and I believe it's going to be good. <laughs> right? Like, if you've experienced something good, then you're going to have a desire for it. If you have an emotion when I say, like, go back to work Monday morning after the weekend and all of a sudden there's dread, it's not because, like, work is going to be horrible. You can't trust your emotions all the time. It, it's not a prophecy that you're feeling. What it is is you believe it's going to be bad. You've had a bad experience, and you've based your belief based off of that experience. We can change our emotions. And the way that we do that is we change our thinking, first and foremost. We follow what Paul teaches we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We take captive our thoughts. We're about to do some declarations as we end. But we are filling our minds with truth. That any thought that we have that is outside the truth of what God says about us, 
about other people, about who God is. We take those thoughts captive and we give it back to him. Some of the best advice I ever got is like, man, if there's a thought that you do not want in your mind, use it as a trampoline to give Jesus love. And anytime a thought pops in, it's like, man, you're not good enough. Like, <laughs> you know what? Jesus, I love you. You are so good to me. And all of a sudden, the enemy will stop sending those thoughts because he's just causing you to worship. Whatever has your attention, whatever has your mind will grow. And so if you're fighting sin in your life, if you're fighting patterns of sin, if you're even fighting thought patterns, instead of trying super hard not to do those things, instead of trying to justify yourself in your mind or figure out a way to, to fix it, instead, focus on what is true. Focus on that Christ has already set you free, that you are free indeed, that you naturally have the mind of Christ. You naturally want to think the right thoughts. You want to do the right things. You naturally love the Lord. Along with changing our thinking, we behold him. Behold him. And it takes time. Beholding him requires time. This is why, man, I get so pumped about having worship in here every day of the week is number one, to minister to him, to love him. But my goal is, man, if we can have 40 hours of prayer and worship in here, my goal is to spend 10 hours at least every single week as a part of my work week in here simply beholding the Lord corporately. That we would gather together, man, if there's one of us, if there's two of us, if there's a hundred of us, if there's a thousand of us, we behold the Lord and we look at him, we behold him and we are transformed as we see him. I've, my life has been changed by Wednesday morning prayer set. Two and a half years now, I think. I, I lose track. Two and a half years of showing up when it feels good, when it doesn't feel good, when it's two of us, when it's 25 of us. Every single week, show up. We behold the Lord. We allow him to be the leader. And we are transformed. Our beliefs changing, our thoughts changing is the fruit of beholding him. It is the fruit of ministering to him. We do not minister to the Lord to be transformed, but we are transformed when we minister to him. And that's the whole point. The whole idea of worship, of ministering to him, is attention. It is giving him our attention. We don't come into worship and say, look, God, look at all these things I have going on. I need you to fix. Like, man, he's faithful to show up. We come into worship and say, God, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> Just look at you. <laughs> okay, I want to end tonight with some identity declarations. Um, if you didn't already, there's a paper on the way in. Guys, I'm telling you, slides tonight, handouts tonight. Y'all are spoiled. Spoiled. What did you say? I did take attendance, yep. Everybody signed in on the way in. That's good. All right. Dance to the front for your offering. That'd be great. Identity truths. All right, we're going to read these together. Ready? Number one. I am now dead to all sin. Number two, because of Jesus, I am holy, blameless, and without a single fault. Okay, pause right here. Why are we reading them out loud? Number one, because it's good. Number two, because faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is authored in the heart that responds to hearing. Okay, number three. I am chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that I may be holy and blameless before the Father. Number four. Wait, no, no. Sorry. Number five. I messed up already. Number five. Nope. I'm number four. Is anybody else better at leading these? All right. Number four. 
God has adopted me as his child. I have a new name. Number five now. I am not destined to repeat the same mistakes as my earthly parents. We're going to read number five again. I am not destined to repeat the same mistakes of my earthly parents. Number six, I am destined to repeat the successes of my heavenly father. <laughs> Number seven, God says yes to me. Can you guys feel the faith building? Number eight, I have been made clean and whole by the blood of Jesus. Number nine, God himself lives inside of me. Number 10, I am saved by grace through faith. I am not saved by my own works. Number 11, I am God's masterpiece. Number 12, all division between God and I has been erased by the blood of Jesus. Number 12, 13, oh my gosh. Logan, come up here, just do it. Nope, I'm, gonna, I'm committed now. 13, right? Because of Jesus, I have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. I can hear his voice and he hears mine. Number 14, Christ dwells in my heart by faith. I am rooted and grounded in love. Number 15, God does exceedingly abundantly beyond all I can ask or think according to his power that works in me. Next one. Because of Jesus, I have victory over every sin and every situation. I have the mind of Christ. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in him. I am in Christ Jesus, and therefore I am a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. If I sin, Jesus has already taken the punishment for it. I have nothing to fear. I am qualified in Christ to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints. God, my Father, has delivered me from the power of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved Son. The sinner in me has been killed. Jesus is alive in me. Woo! Hey, can we give it up? There we go. You know how sometimes, like, the Lord works with you, and sometimes the Lord works despite you? And reading through those, the Lord worked despite me. And we are so glad to be here. All right. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for your love. Father, we thank you for the freedom that comes in believing that you actually, before we have made a single step towards you, except saying yes to you, that you have made us holy and blameless without a single fault. We thank you for this good news, Lord. We thank you that on our hearts that the gospel would become better and better and better and better news, Lord. We ask that you would make our hearts softer and softer and softer to your sacrifice, to your love for us, to the price that you paid and everything that you purchased for us. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, I just thank you for any person in here Father, that this challenges their belief system. Lord, I ask that you would affirm the truth that has been spoken. And if anything that I've said, Lord, is absolute heresy, would you make that clear as well? Lord, would your truth be the only thing that prevails? And Father, for those that, man, we've been on this identity journey for a while, Lord, we ask that you would root us and solidify us even more, even more in truth, Lord. 
And I ask for anybody like me who, man, it is amazing to stand in truth, and, but it feels like sometimes to go back and forth, Lord. I ask that for me and for everyone in here, Lord, that we would stand confidently and permanently in your truth about what you say about us, Father. We thank you for peace. We thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. <laughs> we love you, Jesus. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.